Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Monica Gibbs and the worship leader at our Rolling Hills Nashville campus. We're continuing in our series, The Greatest Adventure, looking at and learning from Moses' life. In today's message, you'll hear from Pastor David as he teaches of God's provision for his people in the desert. Now here's David. So this morning, I want to start off with a question. How many of you consider yourself a provider? Um, I'm sure you're more of a provider than you even think you are. Maybe some days you're more of a provider and some days you're not as much of a provider. But either way, you provide. If you're a coworker, you go to work, you provide something. As a friend, you provide something. As a grandparent, you provide something. As a parent, you provide something. And in my uh, season of life that I'm in right now, I can really relate to being a provider as a parent. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? Amen. Come on. Also, before we get any further, I am an amen preacher, so if you, have, if you have an amen or come on or that's good, I'm okay with all of that and encourage it. So as a parent, I am a provider. I provide stability for them. I provide lessons. I provide love. I provide patience sometimes, you know? We grow in that, Lord. He knows. Um, this last weekend uh, for the 4th of July... Uh, we partied hard. My, my kids had no idea even what we were partying for, but it started off with parade, inflatables, fireworks, pool, hot dogs, candy, friends, memories, hot dog, candy, inflatables, all of it, hot dog, candy, all of it. And still somehow I'm the worst dad ever because I put sunscreen on my kids, putting sunscreen on my kids, worst dad ever. But still, we are here to provide for them. There's, I think there's a picture of my kiddos, Max and Island. That's my wife, Lindsay. So obviously, she is providing right there with me, if not more, if we're to be honest. So today, we're talking about God being our provider, God being our ultimate provider. We're in this series, like Melissa said, The Greatest Adventure, and we're talking about Moses um, being used by God to free the Israelites out of Egypt. And maybe you've walked in and you said, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. And that's okay. And maybe you've been around church and you know the story like the back of your hand. Either way, I want to make sure I give some context of where we're at. Also, I'd encourage you to read it. It's incredible. It's so many lessons throughout this series that I've gotten. It's just been incredible. But, but today we're starting off with, so the Israelites, God's chosen people, were in captivity, were in slavery in Egypt under the ruler Pharaoh. And God uses Moses in an incredible way. He says, I'm going to use you to free my people to go to the promised land. You're going through the wilderness, but you're going to go to the promised land. And so last week we heard Pharaoh finally decided to let the Israelites say, go. He said, go, worship, worship your God, worship your God, go. And so the Israelites make their way. And the first thing they run into is the Red Sea. This is not ideal. And then Pharaoh decides, what are we doing? We're giving away all of our free labor. Let's go get them. So then he sends Egypt after them. So you got Egyptians, Israelites, Red Sea. Lord, provide a way. And he does. He provides a way. He splits the Red Sea. He splits the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land. So that's where we are today. We're on the other side of the Red Sea. We're still in the wilderness. We're going to talk about how God is a provider even in the wilderness. I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. Um, I, know that, I know that the tech and the worship team don't do it for praise, but I just want to give them gratitude for what they do, for how they serve us, the body of Christ. 
I know how much they're, they're actually eating right now, so they're not in the room except for Phil. But, uh, <laughs> but they put so much time and effort into it, these guys back here. So I'm just so grateful for them and grateful that they have a team that I can step away. It's so good. So um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this sweet time of worship. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you that you are our provider in every season, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that in the dry wilderness, you are still our season because great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning. In precious name we pray. Amen, amen. So the, the passage we'll be looking at today is Exodus 16 and 17 is the bulk of the scripture that we will be in. I want to start off with Exodus, 6, Exodus 16, verse 1 through 3, and then we'll be bouncing around a little bit after that. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that. If you have a mobile device, you can look in there, or the scripture will be up on the screen. This is after the Israelites have passed through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness, making their way. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between... Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Scooting on down to verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the morning. Meat, I'm sorry, meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Here we see God's great patience. Thank God for God's patience. Amen. Thank God for his patience and his mercy with me. Um, the Israelites have just been freed out of captivity, miracle after miracle with the plagues and the Red Sea. And still they find themselves, where's the food, God? Where's the bread? Where's the meat? Where, why aren't you providing? And I throw the Israelites under the bus. But man, I find myself in that boat too often, more than I'd like to admit. That God just did a miracle in my life in the last season. He did something that can only be explained by God. And here I am a month, a month and a half later like the Israelites, going, okay, God, where are you at? I'm ready for the next thing. What's going on here? This is taking way too long. This is, wait, this, this, this is not, are you in charge or what's going on here? Complaining and grumbling. So we see with that with our first point. If you want to follow along in the worship guide, you can fill in the blanks to help follow. So when we complain and grumble, we miss what God is doing in the waiting. When we complain and grumble, we miss what God is doing in the waiting. Of course, God wants us to come with honest prayers. He wants us to come with vulnerability. He wants us to cry out to him and say, Lord, we need you to move in a powerful way. We need you to move. Lord, we need you to move. God, we're asking desperately. Even cries of prayer, like, God, where are you? But by the end of that prayer, by the end of that season, it needs to turn to trust and praise. Because that is in the waiting. You're turning to trust and praise and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm still going to trust you and praise you in the waiting. We see this in Psalms all the time. King David was great about this prayer. In Psalm 69 specifically, he says, 
Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy turn to me. You can see the balance there saying, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. But I trust you. I trust you in the waiting. I'm not going to turn to complaining and grumbling. I'm going to turn to praise and trust and faith. But that's not what the Israelites were doing. They were, they were just going, what is this? Where's the food? Where is the food? Where's the meat? Where's the bread? Come on. And they don't turn to God. Well, they don't think they're turning to God. They turn to Moses and Aaron and say, what is this deal? What is this plan you've created? But in Scripture, it tells us that they're not complaining to Moses and Aaron. They're complaining to God. And that preaches in itself, y'all. If we're turning to our coworker, we're turning to our spouse, we're turning to whoever, and we're saying, blah, 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 blah. We're not complaining to them. We're complaining to the Lord about his plan and his provision in it. Because when we just complain and grumble, we miss the lesson. We miss the lesson God wants to teach us as we wait for his provision. Because there's a lesson in the waiting. And I'm not saying it's easy. This word is for me. Believe me. (laughs) I'm preaching this. I'm going, you're hearing that, Curtis? (laughs) So let it be known that when I'm preaching, I'm going, listen. There's a lesson in the waiting. There's a lesson. And Isaiah says, those that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. Thank you, God. You meet us in the waiting. Uh, last year, my wife and I, we bought um, a new house. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the new space, a space to create more memories with our family. Um, but with it comes a little bit more landscaping, comes a little bit more grass, comes a little bit more you know, responsibilities, things. And I, to my own admission, am not a landscaping guy. If it's even, I'm pretty content with that. If it's green, that's a little bonus. You know, I do know this, that weeds are not good. That's a little bit of information there for you if you didn't know that. Weeds, not good. Curtis Landscaping is going to come to a a yard near you, and we're going to take care of your yard. It's going to be great. Don't worry. So I know that weeds are not good. Weeds do not provide anything for the environment, for the atmosphere, what it looks like. So I was curious, what do weeds actually do, though? I found this. Weeds can cut off your plant's food supply. Your plants need water, light, and nutrients to survive. And as weeds suck up nutrients from the soil, this can not only cause plants to wither and die, it can lead to abnormal fruit growth. So follow me here in this illustration. The weeds are the complaining and grumbling so your plant that is the spiritual life. Your plant that is, the, that is the spiritual life that is waiting for the provider to provide the sunlight and the nutrients and the rain. And this weed pops up. And all it does is put focus on the weed. You're not even focusing on your provider anymore. You're not even focusing on it. It chokes out the very nutrients that you need as you wait. You follow me? The complaining and grumbling, all weeds do, that's all it is. It's just complaining and grumbling. It chokes out the exact thing that we need. It sets our eyes off of our provider as we wait. In the waiting, how quickly we forget what God walked us through, which is a little discomfort. I mean, the Israelites, like I said, are a month and a half in. After miracle, after miracle, after miracle, a month and a half in. And they're saying in Scripture, they said, We should have died in Egypt. I mean, sure, we were in slavery, and, you know, we had our arms wrapped, chains around our wrists, chains around our feet. We were doing hard labor, but we had all that meat. 
Man, it was like the Golden Corral there. All the meat you want. Pots of meat, it says. How quickly we become delusional about our past life of sin. It was even just a little discomfort with complaining and grumbling and taking our eyes off the provider saying, God, you will provide. We look back on our life of addiction, of our family falling apart and go, oh, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that bad. We become delusional just like the Israelites were doing. Continuing on this story, Exodus 16. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you here for sake of time. The Lord tells Moses, I hear my people. I hear my people's cries. And I'm going to answer them. I'm going to answer them with quail and manna. I'm going to provide for them. Tell them to take exactly what they need for today. Take exactly what they need for today. Some took a lot, and they used it all, and that's what's great. Some took a little, and they had exactly what they need. Another instruction that the Lord told, told Moses to tell the Israelites was, don't save it over for the next day. Don't, don't hoard it over. Don't hold on to it. But the Israelites were like, I don't know if God's going to provide quail and manna tomorrow. I'm keeping my leftovers right here. I'm keeping them right here. And so when they did that, it rotted. It was filled with worms. It stank. It went bad completely. So that's where we pick back up with the next point. The Lord provides enough for today so we can grow in trust and faith for tomorrow. The Lord provides enough for today so we can grow in trust and faith for tomorrow. And that is the way the Lord works, right? I don't know about y'all. Maybe y'all are super Christians. But that, for me, that is the way the Lord works. In Psalms 119, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, as in now. Not a spotlight for the year. Right? In Luke, Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray. He says, give us today our daily bread. Not give us a month's worth of groceries. Right? Give us today. Because Christ wants to, us to grow in dependency. He wants us to grow in trust, in faith. So that's the way he works. He gives us enough for today so that we can remember and we can remember God's faithfulness, and he provides enough for today. But sometimes in our culture, we can become hoarders, right? We even have TV shows about it. We, are, we know those people, you know, and we're not like them, right? Or maybe that's what you're thinking. I'm not like that. I just take what I need for today. But let me remind ourselves about the toilet paper <laughs> and hand sanitizer debacle of 2020. Wow. We were all like, I'll take that toilet paper. I'll trade you. I'll do whatever I have to do. <laughs> holding on to it. I need it. You don't know. But God told the Israelites, do not take more than you need today. Do not take more than you need today. James 4.14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. In the, in the scope of eternity, we are like that. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised that he's faithful and provides enough that we need for today. We're not promised. We don't know what's to come. Not to be too morbid, but this could be the last time that I'm standing on the stage. We don't know. So what am I going to do with that? I'm going to know that I have the breath in my lungs right now, so I'm going to pour out his praise, like we just sang, right? I have breath in my lungs right now, 
That means God's going to use me right now. I'm going to bring, I'm going to pour it all out because he's given me life today. I'm going to say, God, you're good. You're faithful. I trust you for today in this moment. But sometimes we think we have forever. I get it. Sometimes we think we have forever and we want to hoard and take more than we need. I mean, the fact that the manna and the quail, all that was kept until the next morning was filled with worms and stunk, that is a lesson. That is a lesson that God is teaching me and teaching us right now. Because when we hoard and save it for the next day, that we even think we'll have. <laughs> that we think we'll have. That we are saving and hoarding our finances, our hospitality, our giftings, our leadership. Maybe at your work you are an amazing leader. You lead a group and you're saying, I will someday use that for the church. Maybe God's blessed you with an incredible home. And you're saying, I'll someday use that for a community group. Maybe God has blessed you with an incredible job. You say, someday I'll tithe when it's convenient. I know I'm leaning in here, church. But I think it's a lesson that we all need to hear. We're given today. We're given what God has given us. And he wants us to use it for his glory. He's provided enough for today. So lean in and say, well, how can it be used? It's all yours in the first place. The job was, you provided the job. You provided the home. So you provided any gifts that are up here. I'm going to pour them back out to you, Lord. And you can do what you can do with them. And he does amazing things with them. The Lord provided a very real need for the Israelites. Not only physical, but also spiritual. I'm thankful that our God does not just provide the material needs that we need, but he also provides spiritually what we need. He provides grace. He provides mercy. He provides faithfulness, like we just saying, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. He provides salvation through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He made a way. And maybe you're in this room and you don't know what all that entails is to give your life to Christ and follow, you, follow Jesus. I would love, I would love, nothing, nothing more, to, to pray with you after the service and say, I want to give my life to Christ. Because that's the most important decision that you'll make today, tomorrow, ever. Most important. God provides salvation, grace, mercy, faithfulness, hope. He provides peace that passes all understanding. I love the verse Philippians 4.13, but uh, it is probably one of the most misused verses in sports world. You see it, Philippians 4.13, written on the cleats. You got it on the eye patches, 4.13. And I'm like, it does not mean that you're going to win the Super Bowl. It does not mean that you're going to hit 400 home runs. It means that you'll be content in every season. We can't do that by our own strength, let me tell you. Paul is writing Philippians from prison. He wrote that, wrote that verse from prison and said, by the power of Christ that strengthens me, I can be content in this season that is beautiful. And I said, God, you are enough. You're faithful. I trust you. In this season that is, by the world's standards, horrible, makes no sense. I can say, God, you are enough. I trust you in the waiting. Being content in every season, God provides that. He also provides rest, which we're about to read. He provides a way for there to be rest in the Sabbath. Let's read Exodus 16, verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. 
And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you were to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. How amazing is it that God gave instructions, said, go, gather what you need for today, but don't hoard it over, don't save it for the next day. Because when they did, day one to day two, the next day went bad. Day two to day three, day three, bad. Day six, he says, gather enough for today and tomorrow. Gathered enough for today and tomorrow. Okay, God, gather on day seven, it's good. He provides a way for there to be rest. What we're doing right here, Sabbath, what we're resting, we're saying, I'm going to take my mind off my job, off my work things. Whatever Sabbath looks like for you, find that time, find that space to rest in the Lord. It's a Ten Commandment. It's, it's very important to have that rest, to have that space. And God provides that, provides a way, provides enough for you to take that. Exodus 16, 32 through 35, continuing on with our passage. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna. And maybe you're thinking, what is an omer, right? What is 3.5 to 4 pounds? So next time you go to the store, maybe you're going to the store after this, go to the young lad, say, I'd like a 3.5, 4 pounds of your omer of sugar, please. And that should work out just fine. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So God tells Moses, get the manna that I have provided, put it in a jar, and save it for the generations to come. Save it for the generations to come. Make sure you tell them what I have done. Because we, myself included, are so quick to forget. We're so quick to forget God's faithfulness and what all he has done and how he has provided. We must make it a priority to remember and celebrate what God has done. We must make it a priority to remember and celebrate what God has done. So to make it a priority, we got to put it on the calendar. we got to make a big deal about it. we got to say, you know what? I'm going to talk about this every year. This is the time where Lord provided back then, and, I wanna, and I'm going to make sure I make a big deal about it. This is the time where the Lord healed me. You know what? I'm going to talk about it. You might be tired of it. You might be tired of it. But I'm going to make sure I make much of what God has done, that he receives the glory. You have to be intentional. The Lord knows we're quick to forget. The Lord knows I am. <laughs> so he says, remember. In these things, he says, remember. He, God told the Jews to remember the Passover. Remember how I saved you. We take communion to remember Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross to remember. We have people give their testimony 
in small groups or up on the stage, and we say, give your testimony, share about what God has done so we can remember. We, get, we gather together like we're doing right now to remember and encourage each other. It says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. When we come together and we sing songs about the Lord, we're remembering God's faithfulness. When we share with each other, and I see people across this room that I get encouraged with when I see on Sunday morning, and they encourage me and they spur me on, and I encourage them. That's what the body of believers are to do, to encourage each other so we can remember God's faithfulness. I love in this passage in Exodus that we're in. It says, put that bread in a jar and show the next generation. Show the next generation how I provided. I'm so thankful for my parents and how they showed me God's provision in every season, in turmoil seasons, in beautiful seasons. They showed me God's faithfulness on display, some with words, some with just watching. So I think about how am I doing that for my kids for Max and I, how am I pouring that and showing them, my kids, what God has done? So many of you know my story. Maybe you follow me on social media. I post about it. Or I've shared with it here. But um, my wife and I, uh, over the last four years, have been through lots of stuff. But three years ago, I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, rare form of sarcoma cancer. And it was right after our little girl, Isla, was born. And obviously, it knocked us back. I mean, knocked us. It's like, what is that? Okay. All right, Lord. We trust you. And thankfully, it was just three months, a three-month journey, which when you look at three months, it's nothing. But, man, it felt like more than three months. <laughs> it felt like three, more than three months. And God healed me. God healed me after, the, after my journey there. Now we fast forward to last November. And my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Kind of knocked back again, right? And that's human. It's okay to go, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. Lord, we trust you in it. I remember when we got the news that night, sitting on my kitchen floor, my, my little boy, Max, he was five at the time, and he came and sat on my lap, and he was emotional. He was scared. He didn't even know really what it meant, but he was, mommy's mommy sick? Cancer, what is that word? You know, it's all just like, overwhelming to him, what even he can, he can even grasp. Mommy's going to be going to the hospital and doing surgery and all this stuff. It's, and I, I was quick to remind him, because he didn't know, <laughs> quick to tell him, three years ago, baby, you were two. You were two years old. You don't know. But God healed me of cancer. And we believe God's going to do it again for mommy. We believe God is a God that provides what we need. And in that moment, you know what happens? Faith rises up. As I'm even sharing it, faith rises up. But also in my five-year-old, faith is rising up. He wouldn't call. He wouldn't say, faith is rising up, Dad. But he would say, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And that's why we share the next generation. That's why we've got to make it a big Deal. And I'm thankful to report last week that Lindsay, my wife, is done with cancer treatments after an eighth-month journey. I'll praise and glory to God, our provider, our healer. 
We have to make much of what God has done. We have to tell the next generation because it's important. It's important that they know. It's important that we share and make a big deal about it. He provides our spiritual needs, but also our physical. Like we saw in Scripture, God has provided all the bread and meat for the Israelites. So this, this is great. Man, the Israelites like, like meat. Let me tell you. They're talking about it. They're complaining about it. We need the meat. No vegetarians there, it doesn't seem like. Um, but now they're parched. Lord, we're thirsty. Lord, what's next? Come on, we're thirsty. So God tells Moses to grab the staff, hit a rock in Horeb. And this is in chapter 17, if you want to go back and read it. Hit a rock, and water will flow from it. So he provides what we need physically. After that, the Israelites are making their way, continuing on in the wilderness. And the Melekites came to pick a fight against Israel. Moses tells Joshua to get some men and go fight against Amalek. That's where we pick back up in the scripture here. Chapter 17, verse 9. Chapter 17, verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Melekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Melekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Melekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands were made steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Melekite army with the sword. So Israel is fighting the Melekites, and Moses makes his way up to the top of the hill, and he raises his staff towards God. When he's raising it high, the Israelites are winning. When he lowers it, the Melekites are winning. So Aaron and her, they come, they put a rock underneath them. They hold his arms up, one after another. See, I've never seen water come from a rock. I've never seen water flowing from a rock. I've never seen my front yard be covered in quail. But I've seen my community show up. Show up in the hardest of times. You guys right here, show up in the hardest of times with some of those diagnoses diagnosis, some of the hardest of times that you show up. I've never seen manna and quail show up, shower down from heaven, but I've seen you show up and say, I want to listen. What's going on? Tell me what's happening. Pray big, bold prayers, meal train, taking care of our house, just anything. And God works through that. Don't belittle that. God works through through that, because our God works in both the miraculous and the everyday. Our God works in both the miraculous and the everyday. That's your next point. He works, he provides water from a rock, provides bread, meat, shining down from heaven, but he also works through you guys, the way you love each other. And there'll be seasons where you are Aaron and her, right? Or you'll be the ones holding the arms up. You'll be walking with someone saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's going to be okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's going to be okay. Come on. Come on. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And there'll be seasons where you're a Moses. And let me tell you, that's sometimes humbling. When you say, I'm trying to keep my arms up. I'm tired. And I'm exhausted. And then you see community come before they can even hit your side. Community come and say, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. 
Keep your eyes on God. Keep your hands raised up. God uses community. But let me be real with you here. As one of your pastors, as your friend, to have a community like that, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to be in people's lives. You have to step out from the rows and maybe get into a circle. We have community groups starting up in a month, and as a discipleship pastor, I'm a big proponent for community groups, and I got the stage, so I said, I'm going to preach on the community groups. Community groups are so important. It's where you meet in the living room and you live life together. You share some of the hurts, some of the horrible things. Hey, we're going in for a scan. Can you pray for us? Some of the joys. You walk together in community. My, my good friend, Lynn Riley, he was in the first service, but he's our community group leader coach, which we're starting in the fall, and I'm so excited. He says this, what we do here on Sundays is more of an experience together, but community is found in what we are doing in our groups because God is, provides community through his church, the church loving on the church. I love here also another lesson that the scripture teaches us it teaches us about community, but also teaches us how to fight our battles. Cue the song. This is that we fight our fight. Okay. Um, teaches us how to fight our battles. In the battle, Moses is up on top of the mountain saying, Lord, you're the provider. You're the one. You're the one that causes the victory. It's with worship and prayer and faith that we fight our battles. And whenever we're tired and say, I'm lacking, that's where the other lesson comes in. Community is there saying, come on, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep praising in the waiting. It's both. Those. I'm so thankful for those everyday ways God provides with the body of believers. Because in this scene, this is, this is a beautiful picture. You, see, you, picture, you see Moses. You see Aaron. You see her. You see Joshua. You see the men fighting. You see all those guys in the scene here. It's very similar to kind of a Sunday morning. Sometimes you might see myself or somebody else doing this, and you see guys hidden back there, some people parking, some people doing family ministry. All these different people are involved in this scene. But let it be known that it's only, only God, only God that moves people towards faith in this step. He uses all these people, and thank God he does. Right? Amen? Amen. Thank God that he uses us. Flawed instruments saying, Lord is good, Lord is good. But he's the only one that moves hearts towards him because he fights for us. He fights for us. He provides the victory. The Lord not only provides, this is your last point, the Lord not only provides our needs, but he also fights for us. Exodus 17, verse 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So Moses, after the fight, built an altar and calls it, the Lord is my banner. I mean, if I'm Moses, it's tough for me not to get on my Instagram feed and say, look all that God is doing through me. I mean, God, you know, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. But he says, no, this has nothing to do with me. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is the one that receives the glory and the victory. 
Because he's the one that fought for me. He is the one that provided the victory. And so maybe you're like, what does a banner exactly mean? What am I supposed to do with that? Pastor David, the Lord is my banner. Well, in the sports world, if you win a division, you win a conference, you win the Super Bowl, you get a banner that says, you are the victor. You are the champion. So I am a Cleveland Browns fan. Yes, I am. Yes. Come on. Okay. I hear the grumbling. I hear that. Mm-hmm. So I've been a Browns fan all my life. I think there's a picture that can kind of prove that. There I am with my sisters ready to attack. And um, I've been a fan through the Bernie Kosar days, through the Eric Metcalf days, through all the head coaches and all the quarterbacks. Through the 0-16 season, if you're not familiar with sports, well, that's zero wins and 16 losses. That's faithfulness to say there, okay? I want you to know. The 1-15 season, whew, and thankfully the last season where we actually got to the playoffs, the one against the Steelers, which is nice. But it's been a long time since the Cleveland Browns have seen a banner. You follow me? Since the Cleveland Browns have seen a banner. And what does the banner represent? A victory, a victor. He's the champion. You look at the banner, you say, he is the champion. So Moses made it clear. He said, it's not Moses on this banner. It's the Lord is my banner. The Lord is the one that receives the victory. He's the one that provided the victory. Another incredible story of God providing in Genesis Abraham and Isaac, maybe some of you are familiar with it. God asked Abraham, are you willing to sacrifice your son? Moses grabs Isaac by the hands as they're making their way up the mountain. It doesn't say in scripture, but I imagine he's scared out of his mind when Isaac says, Dad, where's where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And little did he know, on the other side of that mountain is a ram. God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. The ram is making its way up. To say, there's the sacrifice. My God provided. Some of you might be in the waiting right now. Listen, wait. Be faithful. God provides in his perfect timing. And Abraham Name that place, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Church family, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just so we can set our eyes on God and just keep our focus here. We're about to wrap up. Wherever you're at, church, whether you're in the dry wilderness or in the promised land, the Lord sees you. Our Heavenly Father, He provides. He is enough in all seasons. He sees you. Listen to this. He sees you. He loves you. He wants to care for you. Lord, open our eyes that we would see how near you are. Jehovah Jireh, that we can claim that you are enough in every season, God. My prayer right now is that faith would rise up in this place. 
that we would take steps and trust that you are enough, God. You are our provider. That we would remember your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. We would remember the miracles that you have done, that you're doing and you're going to do. That we would hear you say right now, I am your provider. I am your provider. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.